Welcome to the Slow Style Home Podcast. I am so happy you're here. If you want to create a beautiful home that isn't cookie cutter or a trendy copy of someone else's, you're in the right place. And if you don't want to hurt your wallet or the planet to get one of those dream homes. And you can get started with my brand new quiz called Fix My Room. It's actually more of an assessment tool, but the word quiz, I think, sounds better because it's it's really easy to do. Just answer 20 multiple choice questions and you'll be pinpointing why your room isn't working, why it feels off, and why maybe your previous efforts haven't really panned out. Or maybe you're fairly happy with your room, but you want to make sure that your design choices are going in the right direction. Visit our website at slowstylehome.com and click on the quiz button right at the top. I'll tell you a little bit more about it later in the show. Now, let's dig into this week's episode. Hey there, 2019. I am ready to kick off a new season of the Style Matters podcast, and I hope you're ready to create a home you love. After doing this show for a few years, I now know that there are a lot of us out here who really crave the connection between our surroundings and the development of our happiness. So if you're new here, welcome. I'm Zandra. I'm your host. And if you're coming back from previous seasons, I am so happy to have you here again. If you're looking for inspiration and creative encouragement, you're going to get plenty of it from the interior designers, the stylists, and the authors that I interview on the show. Now, I have a favor to ask. I want you to check out the Radio Public app on your phone as an alternative to whichever podcast streaming service you're currently using. Radio Public isn't a for-profit organization like the service that I will say begins with an I and rhymes with moons. (laughs) Radio Public is mission-driven, much the same way that public radio is. In fact, it was co-founded with PRX, Public Radio Exchange, which you may be familiar with if you listen to NPR at all. The short story here is that they are committed to making all podcasts available in the best way possible for podcast fans while creating a paid platform for podcast producers like me. It costs nothing to you. Simply by downloading or listening to this show using the Radio Public app, I get paid. And I really like getting paid for my work, right? You get me. I know you do. So please, the next time you go to listen to Style Matters, or any of your favorite shows for that matter, open up your Radio Public app and get them there. Okay, so before we launch into today's interview, I also want to take just a moment to announce the first Little Yellow Couch Style Retreat of the Year. It's taking place once again at the gorgeous Woodhouse Lodge in upstate New York, February 22nd through 24th, and we're going to dive deep into your design dilemmas, but also help you connect the dots between who you are and who you want to become with the help of a home that actually gives something back to you. 
So you can find out all of the details at littleyellowcouch.com. And yes, spaces are filling up. And I'd love it if you could grab yours today. So again, go to littleyellowcouch.com and get the details. All right. My guest this week is Philadelphia-based interior designer, Michelle Gage. We talk about her background, her work with anthropology, her time at design school, but the reason I had her on the show was because she recently completed a stunning transformation of her dining room, and she wrote about the costs that went behind it, and I just thought it was so refreshing to hear an interior designer talk honestly about money. And toward the end, Michelle also says a few things that I think make for great mantras, almost. She doesn't refer to them that way, but she has these little little tidbits of um, encouragement and inspiration that I want to see if you can tell what I'm referring to. Again, that's toward the end. Let me know. Okay, let's go. So Michelle, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I am a huge, huge fan of your style because it's bold and colorful and fun. And I'm, I'm just think it's exactly what we need to be talking about this time of year when it's a little bit cold and dreary outside. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes, yes. So uh, I want to kind of start at the beginning of your story and how you got into it because you talk about being a bit obsessed about interiors, even as a really young kid. Tell us where you think that came from. Yeah, so I I was obsessed with floor plans from a very young age. Um, and I, I don't think that's the most normal obsession <laughs> for like a seven-year-old to have. Um, that said, it was mine. Um, but I have I've just always been enamored with homes and interiors in particular, and um, it wasn't until, you know, a few years later when I was a teenager that I realized it was actually a career and something that people did for a living and that right. I could potentially pursue. But I do think, you know, the, the hobbies and activities that you do as a child can really inform what you do as an adult. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, the hobby that I loved um, was, yes, s- setting up floor plans and uh, sketching up floor plans in my little Lisa Frank notebook, um, but also when it came to playing with Barbies, I really enjoyed setting up her dream house. And it's a little cliche, but um, that particular part of quote unquote playing Barbies was all that I really did when playing Barbies. The floor plan aspect of it, I, I would just carry this little Lisa Frank notebook with me everywhere I went. And um, it was if we were visiting family or friends or going on a mini vacation, any new home that I was in, I liked to reimagine how I would live there. So I would sketch out the space and I would put in, you know, if if I thought that, you know, my uncle's sofa was worth keeping, we could keep that. But then I needed two new chairs and a new rug and a new coffee table. (laughs) And I would sketch it all out and make my needs list of what, you know, what could stay and what could go. Um, Sometimes I'd leave it behind with them. Sometimes I'd take it with me if I was feeling a little bit shy about it. Um, But I just really enjoyed being in other people's homes and understanding how other people lived and, uh, you know, getting, getting a little joy of switching it up for them, or at least in my mind. Yeah. Well, I do that. I think a lot of people who listen to this podcast also do that now as adults, right. you know, when we're on vacation and we're staying at an Airbnb or a cottage or something like, Oh, what would I would switch out those curtains and I would repaint that wall. And, but you were seven. <laughs> well, <laughs> 
Yes. <laughs> right. And and so what did people think when you would leave your floor plans behind? Would they would they go, oh, wow, maybe I should replace those chairs? <laughs> Do you know what their reactions were? I mean, sometimes I don't know that they gave it much thought. I mean, it was it was on a like a four by six purple paper with like magical unicorns in the corner of it. So I'm sure that they weren't like, oh, yeah, we're going to execute this plan exactly the way the seven year old said to execute it. Well, so then let's keep going. So then you went on to get a BS in interior design at Virginia Tech. And honestly, I don't think that I ever paid attention to interior design programs and whether or not they were a Bachelor of Science or a Bachelor of Arts. So can you tell us a little bit about what the difference is? Sure. So I guess I'll start with uh, when I was actually looking for a school to go to. There's different accreditations that interior design programs can receive. Um, At the time, it was called FIDER, um, which was an acronym for, I couldn't tell you, but F-I-D-E-R. Now it's C-I-D-A, Council of Interior Design Association, or something to that effect. Um, And not all schools receive that accreditation. So if you are looking to go to an interior design school, a four-year program, you want to seek out a school that has that accreditation because it it just means it's, you know, it's highly regarded in the interior design community. So that's kind of where I started. To be perfectly honest, I I don't know what the honest, true distinction between the science and the art aspect of it is, but what I can tell you is Virginia Tech was uh, more of a they were focused more on technical aspects of design. So my program was actually a commercial design program, but I so strongly wanted to do residential that um, I just kind of, you know, I I advanced through the program knowing that my goals were different. And um, what I wanted to do after graduating was different. And that's kind of where I went um, with anthropology. Yeah, let's talk about that next. So that was, was that one of your first jobs outside of college? It was my first job outside of college. And they're, they're headquartered in Philadelphia, right? Yeah, so I, I actually moved to the area in hopes that I would get the job. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so what did you do for them? So I just wanted to get my foot in the door. Um, So I was willing to take whatever they offered me. So it was a, you know, hourly internship. And I was on the home merchandising team, which turned out to be a really fantastic fit. Their focuses have shifted throughout the years on what they pay attention to. But while I was there, it was a lot of effort on building out the home catalog and uh, paying attention to how the assortment looks online. And uh, so I went from home merchandising into the found team, which was the art and antiques found mm. objects. So any of the vintage stuff that you see in the stores from the, so I had, I had three, I had a total of three roles while I was at anthropology. Um, so I started with home merchandising. I went into found objects and then my final and my third and final role there was buying, which was a really good mix of creative and business. Mm. Um, so within buying as a buyer, you were responsible for whatever your categories were. So I was buying, I did a little bit of furniture, um, but predominantly I was buying rugs, curtains, and lighting. So that was kind of like my and my team's business. Mm -hmm. So we did a lot of, you know, product development um, and then a lot of looking at sales and looking at, you know, numbers and um, how we were doing each day. So it gave me a really good experience in how to run a business. I mean, obviously that's so valuable as now a 
person who runs her own business as an interior designer. Definitely, definitely. I mean, I I learned so much at Andro, and I really credit the managers who like moved me into positions that made sense because looking back at my experience there, I can't think of, you know, a job that I didn't have that I should have had. Um, so while it would have been wonderful to out of school, work for a residential designer for a few years, learn from her and then start my own firm. I really got to kind of learn it on my own terms and a little bit differently than I think most who go into residential design learn it. I really believe that following what's sparking your interest is probably the best way to learn. Yeah, I, I got I got really lucky with some of the people who were managing or mentoring me there. The people that they have there are just so inspiring and um, unique. And I, and I don't love the word unique, but they they really they have a different flair to them. And um, if you if you pay attention to each person, they can they can teach you something different. That's great. I mean, to me, that's that's the sign of an employee who knows how to hire based on potential versus what's on a resume. So that's, that's, and, mm-hmm. and, and I love anthropology. So it's always nice yeah. when one of these big stores that you love, you, you hear the backstory and it's not horrible. You know, it's actually a nice yeah. story. <laughs> it's a totally different look that, um, I, I love, so yeah. I, I'm never not going to be a brand fan. <laughs> right, right, right. So I want to move into your own home and start talking about what it looks like. And let's start with your most recent one room challenge, which is okay. fantastic. It's your dining room. Thank you. Um, but <laughs> well, first of all, I would like you to describe it for us, and I will have some photos of it on the show notes page for everyone to see. But describe it. But then I want to hear about this really honest post that you wrote about the cost of yeah executing one of these one room challenges um, because okay. a lot of us who do these one room challenges, I mean that my first one, I just finished my first one. And even with my first one, I w- received my couch and my wallpaper um, in exchange for working with those companies. Right. So I didn't mm-hmm. technically pay for them. Um, I just exchanged you my, did work. my work for them. Exactly. And so that's part right. of it. But then you also, and you of course did, did the same thing and have done the same thing, but I mean, there's all these other costs. So first of all, describe it. And then we'll talk about the, the nitty sure. gritty. We'll be back after a quick break. I just want to jump in here for a minute and remind you about the new free quiz that you can take at slowstylehome.com. It's called the Fix My Room Quiz, and I've created it because a lot of times when we're ready to change up a room in our homes, we get stuck not knowing where to start or what to do first. I mean, do you paint the walls? Do you come up with a different floor plan? Do you declutter first and then buy all new stuff? It's daunting. So the quiz, is designed as a way for you to assess what's not working so that you're pointed in the right direction in terms of what to focus on. Everything else can kind of fall away. After years of helping others look around their rooms and identify the possibilities for big, impactful changes, I figured out how you can do this assessment yourself. The 20 multiple choice questions will ask you about how your room is functioning and how your style is developing. 
Then you'll receive a detailed summary from me about what you should tackle first. No more guessing and no more throwing money away or time. Again, go to slowstylehome.com and click on the quiz button right at the top. All right, let's jump back into today's episode. Okay, sounds good. Um, so I would describe it as loud. <laughs> um, it's very whimsical. Yes. Um, it's well, so I don't know if you'll you'll share photos of the before, which feel free to grab them from okay. my blog post. But the before was just this like empty box of a room, and the previous owners had, for whatever reason, done an accent wall in this like very square room. Actually, I believe two of the walls were like a rust and two were an ochre. It was terrible, mm-hmm. but it was like this blank canvas. So I could kind of do whatever I wanted in there. Um, and luckily my husband's usually pretty on board with like me doing whatever I want. Um, yeah. and then him executing the, yeah. the building of it. I mean, it's the, it's the best relationship to have because I mean, I'll be perfectly honest. Like I, in our home, shit happens because of Alex. <laughs> Kudos to him. So, um, in the dining room, like I said, we were starting with this like blank canvas. So we really wanted some bold moldings in there. So we did a really um, deep picture rail up top with the crown and then some picture frame molding below and smashed in between the two is some really bold wallpaper, which has, I, I think they're technically pomegranates, but they're yellow. There are monkeys hidden in them, which Mm. some of the monkeys are a little weirder than the other monkeys. But it's this fun, bold, um, entertaining space, which before the one room challenge, we couldn't really entertain. Um, We didn't we were eating off a folding table for about nine months. So it's quite the upgrade. But we really wanted to focus on giving the space an authentic look to the rest of the house while also bringing, you know, our personal flair for all things eclectic into and it. So what do you mean by authentic to the house? So the house is a 1927 um, old stone home and the moldings that we have here in other rooms are thick but not extremely ornate so we didn't want to put anything that didn't fit the period of I the see. house into right. the space. Gotcha. All right. So now let's talk about the cost. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so I was, I was really nervous to write that blog post because I wasn't, yeah, I, you know, I wasn't really, I wasn't really nervous about the reception of the like couple of people who read my blog or what people on the internet strangers thought. It was more, would my parents read it? Would my family read it? Would my friends read it and see how much we're spending on our place. So it's, it's like, if, if, if you're an open book, I love talking about it, but if you're not, it's not really an area I want to get into discussing. Um, yeah. you know, sometimes you're in positions where you're sharing all your financial information and secrets and spending habits. And then the other person's like, Oh, interesting. And then they don't share. And you're like, come on. <laughs> I, thought, I thought we were in this together. And now I just told you everything. And I, you know, you're, you're sitting there in your judgment or whatever. Right. Um, but I didn't, I don't think I've gotten a single negative response from it, which was really refreshing. Um, most people who had left comments 
saying how um, how great that it was to to read into what really goes on when when creating a room, whether it's within the one room challenge or not. I think my point was I had somebody who DM'd me and it was a totally innocent DM, but she had said something to the effect of, you know, oh my God, those built-ins are amazing. Do you have any idea how much they cost? Uh-huh. Like I didn't know. Uh-huh. And I had paid for every aspect of that built-in. Um, you know, that was something that we had purchased the lower cabinets. And then my husband built the top shelves and then um, we had them painted professionally. But we had a little conversation and it was all, you know, it, it basically nothing she said was out of line. It just gave me a little insight that like, oh, people... People either think that I have no idea what some of the items that I'm bringing into my room cost or that I'm not paying for any of this, right. which isn't the case. So I, my, the, the myth I wanted to dispel was that you could renovate a room like this for $5,000 in six weeks, which is not true at all. Right. Not true at all. And I, I, I wrote the story to a provide some insight into like what it does cost. I, I also selfishly wrote it kind of for me, for clients. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I get a lot of inquiries from people who love and watch HGTV and think that I am their key to getting them that. And what that is, is a very affordable space done in 48 hours. Right. Um, and I think what HGTV doesn't show so much, they, they may be accurate in their material costs, but they, they forget to tell you that like all of the work was provided for by the show. So I was getting frustrated by um, the misconception that I could give them this whole HGTV effect in, you know, this tight, tight, tight window for this tight, tight, tight budget. Right. I, I, I've received positive feedback from it, thankfully, but I've also um, gotten a client who reached out to me because of it um, mm. and said, yeah, and that was really, that was really like a nice, a nice surprise to, to have them say, you know, I saw your blog post, we're moving to the area, and we just thought it was really honest and refreshing mm. to hear about these quote unquote hidden costs. Well, and also, I I think people maybe the problem too is is that in the beginning of the process, if their expectation is they've got this fixed number in their mind about what it they think it should cost, right. not based on anything, just based on sort yeah. of this <laughs> random number, and yeah. and I really think this is so important to bring up about our culture has become it's big in the magazine world and on TV with these makeovers and it's this sort of instantaneous, I did it on the cheap and look how fabulous it is mm-hmm. kind of mentality. And I, I do think that, you know, as a society in general, people like things to be cheap and easy and we all and design get sucked is into not that. that. No, but design is not <laughs> right. that. Yes. <laughs> and design is neither of those things. If you can do it, if you want to do it affordably, my, suggestion is to do it over time because it's never, you're never going to get the look you want if you just do it fast and cheap. So it's, it's the, the game of you can have it fast, you can have it cheap, or you can have it look good and you get to and pick well two of the three. Yeah. Yeah. Look good. Well done. Yeah. yeah. So you can pick two of the three. One of the key reasons that I wanted to, you know, jumping back to like why I wrote this blog post, one of the key reasons was because 
I was sort of, I felt like I was feeding into this machine of this is the finished pretty look. And I wanted people to know that that finished pretty look wasn't $5,000. And it was like, you can do with this magazine worthy work and have it look really great. But then if you as a prospective client come to me with a small budget, I can't give you what you're seeing. Mm -hmm. I can give you something. I can, you know, I can, I can work with what you have in some way, but I can't give you what you're coming to me for. And that's kind of where the disconnect was, is receiving inquiries from clients who loved what I was doing, which is so flattering, but then having this small budget in which to execute it. And not having a way myself to really articulate that, like, that ain't it. Like, I can't do that. Like, I can't, I can't take this room that cost X amount of dollars and give it to you this amount of money and also get paid. Right. Right. I mean, it's not just self-serving, though. It really is important for people to... To understand, like that one client that came to you and said, I appreciate the fact that you were honest about how much it was going to cost. Because, you know, right. especially if you're trying to find contractors and everything, there is that game that they kind of are forced to play where they have to be the low bidder in order to get the job. Because they're they're competing against people who are kind of lying about how much things are going to cost. Yeah. And so it's, yeah. it is refreshing, I think, to be honest about it. and And I do like what you're saying, that it's not that you can't have beautiful, exquisite, well-made things, but you just might have to take your time acquiring them. And that's right. okay too. I mean, you know, style evolves. It's it's not instant and it shouldn't be instant. And I feel like we've kind of gotten to this spot where um, everybody wants instant gratification. Like so much of the inspiration that is passed to me for my design projects from clients is like a $2 million home in LA yeah. that is just not the price or home that they have in PA and (laughs) it's great to pull things from it. Um, but I think that with, without the right context, it can get exhausting and like the comparison game can just get to you. So you have to keep it all in context. Right. And I think too, the, the, the idea that so much of our inspiration now comes from other people's homes because of mm-hmm. we love to follow that. I mean, I, I do, you know, love to follow that stuff on Instagram yeah, and read magazines and everything. But the best inspiration does not come from other people's interiors. To me, it comes from a trip you've taken or a feeling that you right. had when you're walking through a museum. I mean, your wallpaper in your dining room, it, that came from a trip to Capri. So what do you think sort of on this continuing this a little bit what do you think the hardest part of decorating is for people who aren't trained as interior designers I think the biggest struggle that people have when decorating their own home is not fully understanding what they want and what their style is so I always aim to when working with a client pull out their personal style into the space I always want Um, you know, when they have guests over for the guests to say, you know, Oh, Jessica, this space is so you. Yes. Also the, like the fear of messing up, I think gets in their way. Yeah. So what are your, what are your best tips, I guess, for uh, that you would give as a professional to a a lay person 
in terms of how to get started? So I, I think in any room that requires a rug, which is most rooms, mm-hmm. that's a great place to kind of start your base. If you look at the room size, you want a rug that fills it but doesn't like fill all corners of it to the point where it becomes carpet. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the areas that I've seen a lot of homeowners misstep in is getting a rug that's usually it's too small for their space. Sometimes it's too big. Usually it's too small um, because the smaller the rug, the more affordable it is. And it still feels like a big rug. Like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I just bought a five by eight rug. Well, that five by eight rug probably really only works in like a child's playroom. You normally need an eight by 10, if not a nine by 12 or a 10 by 14. So I would start with getting the right rug size and building from there. And, and, and if you buy, if you've already bought that five by eight rug, that's too small, get the right size in a jute rug and layer it. Mm -hmm. Um, I've had many a clients fall in love with like, they'll have great taste and they'll buy, you know, a five by eight vintage rug before they've hired me. And I, don't have the heart to get rid of that yeah. rug. It's gorgeous. So we'll layer a jute under it. Or put it put it in a different space. Yeah, or find a different home for it. Yeah. That sort of happened to me twice now. So I fell in love with this kind of <laughs> smallish vintage rug and I knew it was too small. I already knew it was too small, but I couldn't right. help it. I bought it anyway thinking maybe, maybe it'll surprise me. It will magically work. And of course it didn't. So then I moved into my kitchen where it's perfectly fine. And then the second was this rug that I bought for the one room challenge that I absolutely fell in love with. Uh It was so perfect. And I was really hoping it was bigger. So I was hoping maybe it would work. Um, but it just didn't. And so then it ended up on the wall and it's so much better, so much better (laughs) on the wall than on the floor. So I, it was a really happy accident. Well, but that's great. I mean, like you weren't afraid to make a mistake, which you made. Yeah. Like, I, and I think that's like back to like where clients or where, where homeowners can get hung up. Just don't be afraid to make a mistake in your home because it could wind up being the best thing. If you're trying to create a fun space, just don't, don't be too serious about it. Um, if I can say that that's another tip, you know, just yes. don't, don't get too hung up on, every little thing being exactly what you need it to be. Um, Sometimes the best rooms have something a little bit weird and irregular in them and a little unexpected. And those are like conversation starters in the room. So, you know, don't be boring. And don't be boring. So I, I won't be boring. Don't be boring. Um, I, I, I'm so sorry that we're wrapping this up because this is, I could talk to you for hours, but um, (laughs) I do want to wrap up with, with our, big question, which is why does style matter and what does paying attention to our environments, where we're living, where we're spending our time, what, what, what does paying attention to that do for us? So I can't speak for everybody, but I feel so much better when I am in an inspiring space. Mm -hmm. And I feel that more strongly now, having about a year ago, we moved into this dilapidated fixer upper which left us with a lot of unfinished rooms for a lot longer than we wanted. Mm. Um, And it definitely played on my mental state. I was, you know, I was having mental breakdowns like every other month Mm. because my environment was truthfully not, not livable. We shouldn't have lived here while we were renovating the house. Um, We should have, you know, lived elsewhere. And in that horrible experience earlier in the year, I've, 
become an even stronger believer that like where you live and how you treat your space matters. And I think that there's nothing more enjoyable than being in a space that truly reflects you. Mm. Um, so right now doing this interview, I am in my living room, which I think is the truest expression of myself. Um, I'm looking at all the art that I've curated over the years from trips to Paris or local flea markets or, um, that I've, you know, gotten from previous jobs or painted, um, paintings that I purchased in remembrance of a trip or for my husband or by my husband. And there are so many memories collected on this one particular wall that I am currently staring at that I just, I feel so at home and I feel so like, I don't know, cared for by my home. And I think that, you know, you work so hard and, you know, you should have a space that at the end of the day, you love coming home to and you feel your truest self in. I love how you say you want to feel like you're, you're being cared for by your home because we rely so much on other people sometimes to care for us. Mm -hmm. And when we're not getting the care that we need from humans, we, we feel hurt or betrayed or lonely. Mm -hmm. And so I love this very, it, it kind of gives our home agency, it, it makes it actionable to think about it right. providing care for us. That is a really lovely goal. Yeah. I, I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I stand by it. <laughs> I <don't know. laughs> yeah. Enough said. I, I, Michelle, this has been so delightful and I am really excited to share some photos with, with everyone because your client work and your own home, it's just gorgeous. And so much fun. And, and, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, you guys, you cannot miss out on the photos. So be sure to, when you're done listening to this episode to check out the show notes page. Well, I hope I didn't ramble too much, but thank you very much for having me. Thanks so much for listening. If you love interiors as much as I do and are looking for a way to refresh your home, you can start by downloading my free worksheet on developing your own style manifesto. It's fun, it doesn't take very long, and it's a great way to lay the foundation for all of your design decisions. And don't forget, the next time you go to listen to this podcast, try doing it from the Radio Public app. Take care, and I'll be back in your earbuds next week with another interview. Thanks so much for listening. I know your time is valuable and I really do appreciate you spending it with me. And please, please, please take a minute to leave a review for Slow Style Home wherever you get your podcasts. It honestly does help keep this show on the air and your feedback is highly valuable to me. Have a great day and I'll be back in your earbuds soon. Bye for now.